podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today, we're having another one of our... Deep Conversations. With Fawad Mazri. Fawad was born and raised in the war zone of Beirut, Lebanon. As a third-generation pastor, he has a passion for sharing the love of Christ with Muslims and has spent most of his life doing exactly that. After coming to the United States to attend seminary, he realized the urgency for teaching American Christians to reach out to the growing population of internationals, specifically Muslims. In 1989, he founded Crescent Project to nurture transformational relationships between Christians and Muslims and overcome misconceptions about Islam and Christianity. He is an ordained minister and has been ministering to Muslims since 1979. And he has trained, get this, more than 18,000 Christians to sensitively and purposefully share their faith with Muslims with both the Bridges One Day and Sahara Challenge training programs. He has served as a guest instructor at several universities and Christian ministries and has been featured in several media publications, including Christianity Today, Newsweek, Mission Network News, and on CBN, TBN, and the Janet Parshall Show, as well as Primetime America. He is the producer and teacher of the DVD study Bridges, Christians Connecting with Muslims. In Bridges, he further exposes Christians to the urgent need for understanding Islam and Muslims. He is the author of the book is The Injil Corrupted and the book Ambassadors to Muslims. All in all, he is the author of 11 books, including Outreach Magazine's 2015 Cross-Cultural Resource of the Year, Connecting with Muslims, A Guide to Communicating Effectively. He holds a bachelor's degree in mass communications and has a master's degree in Islamic studies. He lives in Franklin, Tennessee, where he directs the Ministry of the Crescent Project. I invited Fawad to come on the show because he is equipping Christians to speak to them to Muslims that are in our everyday lives. He, he's trying to show us how to talk to the friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates about who Jesus is in a way that is winsome and effective. So I invite you to listen in as we hear his story and how he is equipping people like you and me to share our faith more effectively. Happy listening. Wad, welcome to Apollos Watered. Thank you. Great to be with you, Travis. Okay, here we have our Fast Five. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, here we go. When you came to America, what was your biggest cultural shock? Uh, it, that America is very cosmopolitan. Yeah, that people... They don't have the same dress, the same uh, uh, kind of cultural habits. They're all mixed. I remember landing in JFK, John F. Kennedy Airport, and I'm and I'm thinking, how can I tell the Americans? Uh, I can't tell who's Christian, who's not Christian, who's Muslim, who's not Muslim. They're all mix of all cultures, backgrounds, different. Uh, you know, mostly Western dress, absolutely, but that didn't help me figure out who's who. The second thing that was a cultural shock was uh, being strict on coming on time. In Lebanon, you're allowed to be late about 30 minutes. In other countries, you could be late <laughs> for two hours. But but in America, you know, if you show up five minutes after the hour, you're late. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, that's so true. Uh, here's the next one then. What was the food when you came to the U.S. that you liked the most? Um, I still do this. Every time I come back from overseas, I always have to have a hamburger first thing I do when I land. And my wife makes fun of me on that, but I just feel like I need I need my burger when I get back to the U.S. <laughs> Is there a specific restaurant that you like? What burger? What from what restaurant? Well, I mean, I, I you know if I can if I can have a steak, I'll do a steak. But usually when I land, I like to get uh, a nice hamburger that's uh, you know well cooked, and usually um, I, I I'll do any anything that's kind of not fast food. But I just, I, this is one thing I had in America. I was 18 years old. It was my uh, first year in college in the U.S. And that's uh, my buddies took me to a hamburger place. And it was fun uh, getting to know this. <laughs> Although later, later I found out that American cuisine is different, more than burgers. I had my first grits in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's a it's a fun i love united states there's a lot of beautiful culture in this country that's awesome all right here we go what's the food that you missed the, or you miss now because you're living in the u.s but what is the food you miss most that you can only get in lebanon or you get it the most in lebanon well if you talk about um home-cooked meals it's something called kibbe and uh, that's a hard to come by. You have to go to a special Lebanese restaurants. There are some of them, but it's not in every place you can find it. Uh, the other one that's getting more popular in the U.S. is called shawarma, which is uh, the mm. on the skewer. And you can find it sometimes now as I travel. If you're in big city, you will find something that's sell- selling this. It's called gyros sometimes here. It's a Greek mm-hmm. style of uh, way to cook meat. It's not the same exactly. But uh, shawarma is our fast food in the Middle East, so especially mm. in Lebanon. It's kind of uh, fun. And my family, I raised my kids here, and my wife is American. But that when we go to visit Lebanon, which we kind of did this as a family almost every two to five years, and uh, the first thing they do when we land is like, we got to stop and have a shawarma because they, you know, they have shawarma chicken, they have shawarma lamb, mm. beef, whatever you like. And the exciting thing about food, sometimes it can tell a lot about the culture. Uh, so yeah. our, uh, Lebanese people are very eclectic. So our meals are very eclectic. Our spices are very eclectic because we're, we're in an area where we connect with Africa, Europe, and Asia. So our food is very eclectic. The other thing, uh, Lebanese tend to be, because we're a small nation, uh, we like to be very much, uh, have our own identity. So there's a right way to make a salad, the Lebanese salad. <laughs> and there's a right way to, you know, cook the meat. And so it's, it's kind of funny. While you go to other cultures, they're different. I, w- I was in this country where uh, the food is bland. It's because they don't want to commit. They've gone through so many uh, political upheavals. There's no commit. So you ask them, well, there's no salt in the meal. And they say, it's okay. You can add whatever you like. Because they, they, they want to make sure that everybody's happy. <laughs> While Lebanese <laughs> tend to be very focused, very identity driven, you know. This is how you do it. This is how the hummus is made, you know. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, Lebanese cuisine, having uh, being in Beirut, and I was taken to a kebab place, and there's nothing like that. And shawarma, too, is so good. I, I mean, we have something in my area called naf naf. Yes. And, uh, 
Oh, it's good. It's really good. Um, okay, here we go. Here's another thing. You know the chef, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Ask them uh, if you if it's gonna be Lebanese, he has to add garlic. Lebanese like garlic mm, for meals. So good. Uh, um, what is one thing? Here's your fourth question. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? Well, it depends when you say don't know about. Well, if they have read some of my books, they might know this. But um, uh, when I was uh, growing up in the war in Lebanon. I lost some close friends, and uh, one of my friends, Walid, died on the hands of the Palestinians uh, mm. when I was 18. And that was a, another turning point for me because I hated the Palestinians uh, so much for killing him. And, um, I mean, they killed other of my classmates. But um, God used that story to show me that life uh, is important, uh, that life has mm. to be protected. That hate is something that hits all people. Hate is not connected to one race. I mean, Palestinians and Lebanese, if you see us, we even look alike. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we have similar, we marry of each other, yet we killed each other in, um, over religion, over territory. And, and God used that story to make me reevaluate my life because I had just become a mm. believer. I was a young believer, rededicated my life. And um, um, I made the decision that I wouldn't want a day to pass by without me telling people about the Savior. And I asked the Lord to change my heart uh, in hate towards the Palestinians. And God changed it. I pray for Palestinian people. I pray uh, for Jewish people. Um, I, I pray for everybody uh, that uh, that I even disagree with. But God always reminds me of that instant that hate begins in the heart. And then the fruit of hate is murder, killing, racist, racist actions, genocide. Genocide doesn't start because somebody woke up one day and said, hey, let's kill other people. It starts with hate. It festers as, a, as hate. And that's why Jesus says, if you hate your brother, it's like you've killed him. Because it starts mm. in the heart. Mm. That's heavy. I mean, that's really heavy to think about all of the things that you've seen and you've heard. And I mean, growing up in Lebanon is such a cosmopolitan city to see so much war, strife, death, and to see God change your life and then bring you here to the United States to get some education and then your heartbeat for that. And then coming here, I mean, I've got one last question, but it's it's a little bit different. It's if, as you look at your life in retrospect and you and you think about if, if I were to uh, to be anything, and, and this is kind of a, a silly question, but if, if you were to be a restaurant, what restaurant would you be and why? You're asking a Lebanese that question? I'll be a Lebanese restaurant because <laughs> yes. it's the food of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the healthiest okay. food. <laughs> and also I'll be a restaurant because the Lebanese restaurants are always welcoming. We have all types of desserts. We have all types of coffee. We can meet everybody's palate. So if for me, I'm a very welcoming person. Uh, we always say ahlan wa sahlan. Even when you come to our house, uh, Lebanese tend to be very welcoming. Even uh, when you come into our house, even if we don't know you, you know, we're, some people hug you. Some people, you know, grandma will be there and she for sure makes sure that you get extra food on your plate, even if you don't want it. So uh, I, as a person, I'm very... Um, welcoming to people, even those who disagree with me. And I believe that's the Jesus way. The Jesus way is to welcome people 
even if we disagree with them. Uh, one of the mm. beautiful stories in the Bible is about Jesus seeing Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was an evil person. He was not a nice person. He was what they call a tax collector. He was cheating his own people and giving money to the Romans who were pagan. And, uh, and uh, he was hated. But Zacchaeus jumped on a tree just to have a view of Christ. And Christ under the tree says to him, hey, I'm coming over to your house. Christ invites himself to the house. And the beautiful thing about that is it was a sign of welcoming. It's kind of funny. Uh, Jesus didn't invite Zacchaeus to his house. He said, I'm coming to your house. And that's a double uh, blessing for Zacchaeus is that the person who's a rabbi, who's holy, is saying, hey, I want to come visit you. And that's a, it was a blessing. And then Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus. And then uh, Zacchaeus becomes a believer, a follower of Christ, a Christian. And so uh, the beautiful thing about that story is the Jesus way is to welcome and be welcoming, even if we disagree with people. It's okay. It's all right to disagree. Mm-hmm. Just because I love Muslims doesn't mean I have to uh, agree with Islam. Just because, um, mm-hmm. you know, I love uh, the Somali people doesn't mean I agree with Somali politics or Somali understanding of uh, the role of women. So I can still be welcoming even if I don't agree with the person I'm talking to. As you talk about hospitality, and you're talking about Christ's love for Muslims, and obviously that's been your love and your heartbeat and what God has done in your life. But tell us a bit more about your story. Many people know who you are, but there are some who don't. And for those that don't, would you just give us a brief bio of what God has done in your life? We know you grew up in Lebanon. You're Father was Lebanese, your mother was Syrian, but you're also a third generation pastor, and yet you've seen war. But what has God done in your life that really placed that love for Muslims and the desire for them to come to faith in Christ to to really birth within you that you created ministries and written books as outreach to them? But what what is your story? Yeah, thanks, Travis. Uh, thanks for the opportunity, and uh, really uh, praise God for His faithfulness. Uh, one of the biggest things in the 21st century is uh, um, as uh, scientists have reached Mars, we have not been able to change the human heart. We have medicine, vaccines, uh, we have flights. I can be in, in Europe in seven hours. I can go to Australia in 14 hours. You know, the earth, is the, the world is shrinking. But one of the biggest problems today in the 21st century, we have not been able to change the human heart. Uh, you know, sin still exists, and sin is defined as racism, pride, killing, uh, genocide, terrorist attacks. You know, some people say, oh, you know, the word sin is, is old-fashioned. Not really. It's very modern because it happens daily. You know, I mean, people people rape, uh, sex trafficking. What do you mean sex trafficking? People trafficking yeah. in human lives? Uh, over mm. over sexual activity, this this was done centuries ago. That is an old fashioned thing. It's coming back. So sin is the same. And um, what what I discovered in in the twenty first century and in in the previous century is that God continuously is moving. He is not silent, and He is not sitting back. That's a fallacy that God is not moving on earth. And the first thing God showed me in my life, that he has a calling for people. So I grew up in the war in Lebanon. Sometimes I used to ask myself why I grew up there. But looking back, it helped me see that sin is real. And sometimes in America, sin comes with a suit and tie. You know, 
Usually, you know, there's a scandal and you find out, wow, there's so much mess under there. In Lebanon, sin was raw. I mean, people were shooting each other on the street. Uh, there was car bombs. And you, you could be walking. I mean, I was 12, 13. And you walk out of your home if, if they stop bombing and you see a piece of, uh, 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 you know, a piece of an arm or a head or a, a body part, uh, you know, one time there was a whole half of a human just laying there uh, on the sidewalk. And, you, you, you know, it's like a horror movie every day. And uh, God showed me that mm. the problem in the human heart is sin, whether it's hate, murder, killing, uh, lying, cheating, you know, pride, uh, arrogance, racism, uh, you know, all these things is what we call sin, meaning missing the mark. Um, and uh, during the war in Lebanon, I had my doubts. Uh, the gospel came to our family because uh, my grandfather heard the gospel in Toledo, Ohio, and became a believer in Toledo oh. and moved back. I never met my grandpa, but he led my dad to the Lord, and God used my father to lead me to himself. Uh, but during the war, the question was, does God exist? And... Um, hmm. uh, <laughs> I said that a friend of mine was talking to me and he said, uh, what happens when you die? I said, well, really, I don't care. I don't believe in God. And his response was, well, it's too late then because there's one guarantee on earth is to everybody will die. It doesn't matter if you live in Colorado or in Myanmar, if you live in Australia or in Paris, everybody will die and you can't take anything with you. Zero, nothing. You can't take anything. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're a scientist or or an engineer or just an illiterate person, everybody will die. And so his response was, if you do, if there is a God, it's too late. You know, <laughs> you die and you stand in front of God and you say to him, well, I don't believe you exist. Well, it doesn't matter. So I decided to become an agnostic. <laughs> it's a good word, you know. I don't know. I don't know. But I was like a little boat being pushed by the waves and i decided after three months that if god exists he should communicate no no nobody will create something and not interact with it you can't you won't build a kite and not fly it you won't build a car and not drive it you won't even paint a painting and never look at it or even show it to people in your house i mean there's always a reason to do something so i said if god created this universe uh, you know, there were these questions. Is there a cre creator? And God spoke to me through some things, but one of it was nature. So if God created, then he should be communicating. So I started visiting different religious understanding of life. And I always wanted to look at the character of the founder of that religion. And Christ stands different from anyone else. I mean, I love Moses, but Christ is so much better than Moses. You read Muhammad's life. Christ so much different than Muhammad's life, much better. If you take any leader, you find that Christ was much different, whether in his miracles, in his teachings. And the one that struck me the most is that he washed the feet of his disciples. And Christ said, the leader takes care of the followers. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd because I lay my life for the sheep. Uh, he says, uh, the, the first among you must serve uh, might must serve you and uh, this is something that no other leader said none zero and no other leader even practiced washing his the feet of his disciples and that 
what shocked me is that in the biblical narrative, the view of Christ was he was the word of God become flesh. That, and that that incarnation showed us what is truly to mean to be a servant. And, and while I was living in a country, all the leaders killing each other and sitting in their, you know, palaces killing each other. And right now, our country is in shambles. Really, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Lebanon doesn't will not exist if if the other countries don't uh, help us. We're we're done. We're done socially, politically, military. We have nothing to speak of as a nation. It is really embarrassing what we've done to our country as people. But that's because of greed mm-hmm. and selfishness and strife. And what the Bible says, sin. And um, that's the key point was, I want to follow Jesus. I don't care what other people want to think about Jesus. But the Jesus in the Bible is the one I found. He's worth my life. So I uh, went to my room and I landed by my bed. There were other situations that uh, I mentioned more detail in the book called Ambassadors to Muslims. I share more of the detail of the story, but uh, for the sake of time, I I went to my bed and knelt by my bed, and I said, Lord Jesus, when you came to earth, you healed the sick and you raised the dead. The more there's war in Lebanon, I want to be a soldier of peace. The more there's hate in this country, I want to be a soldier of love. You changed my heart that I will start loving the Jewish people and loving the Palestinians who killed my friend. You know, and God changed my heart and. I started praying for my neighbors, you know, whether they're Iranians, Persians, whether they're Somalis, whether they're uh, Indian. Uh, Lebanon can be very eclectic. I grew up in uh, West mm-hmm. Beirut by the American University of Beirut. And uh, mm-hmm. God changed my heart. And I started sharing the good news with my Muslim neighbors. And so that led you to want to get training in the United States, and then that grew. I mean, when when did the Crescent Project, when was that born into your heart where you said, I want to create a ministry to help really reach and train people and churches on how to reach their Muslim neighbors uh, for Christ? Well, it started because um, I, was, um, I was still in high school when I got saved. And I remember asking my classmate, uh, Kamal, I said, I'd like to give you a Bible. And he said to me, well, the Bible has been changed. I said, well, have you read it? And he says, no. I said, how do you know it's changed? He said, my father told me. I said, your father studied the Bible? And he goes, no. I said, how does he know it's been changed? He said, well, grandpa told him. I said, did your grandfather study the Bible? He goes, no. And I've discovered that today, millions of Muslims, today we have 1.8 billion Muslims. Uh, they, they never read the Bible. They have only traditional information. Most Muslims believe that Adolf Hitler was a Christian, and he was not a Christian. I mean, not only the way he behaved, just whatever he said had nothing to do with scripture, biblical understanding of life. Uh, most, most Muslims are told the Bible has been changed. Most Muslims are taught that Christians worship three gods. And when you ask them what three gods, they tell you Christians worship God the Father, Mary the Mother, and Jesus the Son. So it hit me early on that uh, when you talk to Muslims, they have no idea what we believe, let alone what they believe. 90% of Muslims are nominal Muslims. They, they maybe go to Salat. Uh, and, and lately, in the last 20 years, there's been a rise of people who are trying to get uh, fundamentalism into Islam. But still, till now, 
majority of Muslims do not attend the mosque. They're, they're, they're very traditional or what you say in English, cultural. Like many people mm-hmm. in America would say, well, I'm a Christian. And then you discover they're not really Christian. Maybe they go to, to church on Christmas, but they're not really committed to their faith. They're more what we call cultural Christians. Just because I was born in you know, Illinois or I was born in Texas, then I'm you know, Baptist or something like that. So it's similar to that, not the same, but similar. And so that's where it birthed in me the idea, like I would like to share and I would like to bring others with me. So we started ministering and I came to school here, uh, went back, did the radio ministry, and we saw a lot of success in the sense that the Muslims were interested, not only getting Bibles, but also asking questions, real good questions. It's, it's amazing how God is moving. And in the last 20 years, we've seen such an increase not only in people following Jesus in Muslim countries, but increase of hunger to know about the Christian faith. And you hear Muslims speak because they have been influenced. They would say, oh, I'm a Muslim. But when they talk, it's like, wait a second. That sounds like, you know, you've been reading somebody, you know, reading the Bible or read, read something about Jesus. Uh, like uh, this uh, this king, Muslim king, stood up, he says, you know, Islam is about peace and welcoming the stranger. <laughs> and that's not true. All you have to do is read the Quran, chapter 9, and chapter 47, and chapter 25. There was no idea of welcoming the stranger. They had to surrender, and they had to pay, or die, or convert. And so, so anyway, but when you read the Bible, you have to, you can't, it changes you. So um, I, I we started there. When I came to the U.S. as a student, I went back, but when I came for my master's, I discovered that uh, the the immigration to the United States has increased, and uh, they're coming from countries we can't get to. They're coming from Somalia. Well, we can't get a visa to Somalia to share the gospel, but in America we can. They're coming from Myanmar, from uh, Thailand, from Bangladesh, from uh, Indonesia. Uh, they're coming from Nigeria. They're coming from North Africa. I, I met Algerians, Moroccans, and uh, you know, Kazakh, and so. Uh, we wanted to see why the church is not reaching out to them. And we discovered that the church in America uh, sometimes doesn't see the Muslim foreigners among us. It's not because they're uh, they're hateful. It's because they're busy. Uh, America gets mm. you busy, you know. And I love this, this country. It's a great country. But we do a lot of stuff that keeps us busy, you know, whether it's in movies or sports or activities. So we... We do activities, which is fun, but we miss out on the strangers and the visitors among us. So we started the ministry, and God used us. Uh, we, you know, our first training had five, and we praise the Lord that uh, as of now, more than 321,000 people have been through our materials and training. We have now 400 volunteers who are doing outreach online using social media. Uh, we are working with 72 countries, uh, working with leaders. We call them leadership roundtables, where we help them uh, notice who are the Muslims in their community, what are the differences. Do they have Sunni, Shia, you know, Ahmadiyyas, Baha'is? Who are the people around them? Um, and uh, but uh, two weeks ago, we were with leaders from India, and it's exciting to see what God is planning for India. But uh, the beautiful thing that God called us to do is to see every Muslim. Our mission statement is to see every Muslim respond to the gospel. 
It doesn't matter what, how the response is. My job is not the response. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to be the hands and feet of Jesus and show them the love of Christ and explain the message of Christ. And then the, respond, the response is on them. Or if you want to be theological, their response is their, their, to God's work in their heart. Um, so uh, our mission statement is we, would, we, um, we want every Muslim to respond to the gospel and then be connected to a true follower of Christ. If it's possible, it would be great if every Christian has a Muslim friend. Today, this is the biggest problem. Many Muslims just here in the United States are lonely. They don't have friends. Many times, many of them have never had a Christian friend, and they probably lived here for years. Uh, one of our uh, uh, staff members, she, she's from Muslim background, she heard, she heard the gospel when she was about 28. And her first question is, why did I have to wait till I was 28 to hear the gospel? I live in America. Um, you know, mm. it was so sad that um, that happens, that people um, never hear the gospel. And they live in a country like United States. So you, you mentioned that many Americans, because we're talking about Muslims in the U.S., but I mean, globally, there's 24 billion, I mean, 24, um, make sure I get this number right. There are, uh, how many Muslims are there in the world? I was going to say that there was 24 million. No, there's one. No, sorry. There's one. Point, yeah, I meant that. I, 1.8 billion, but 24% of the world's population. That's what I was thinking of. Yes. And with almost a quarter of the world's population, and it seems like still many Christians are ignorant of this, but yet you see God doing a work and they're brought around us every day. Is it really that Americans are, American Christians are so busy? And it's not just American Christians. People are busy everywhere, but it seems like those in the West are much more busy. How do we then change that mindset? Because it seems to me that, because I would echo being a pastor, everybody always had time for everything else, but it seemed almost like people, like God got leftovers. And God's not the priority. How do we help reorient people so that they can positively see what God's doing in the world and that they build friendships with their with those who are followers of uh, Allah and are within Islam? Yes, Travis, you have a very important role, sir. Today, biggest problem is information. Most Muslims today don't know what Christians believe. Mm-hmm. Okay? On top of that, their governments forbid them. So, for example, Algeria passed a law in 2000, I believe, 17, but uh, they passed a law. You cannot tell an Algerian about any other religion except Islam. Imagine, it's the 21st century. Mm. There's countries today in the 21st century that says that you cannot change your religion, you will be executed. So the, the the struggle we're dealing with is as an information crisis People do not know what Christians believe. On top of that, the media in countries that are uh, have a majority Christians, the media is also controlled. So, give you an example: we just had a terrorist attack in Colorado by a Syrian Muslim, and nobody discussing about that. There were other terrorist mm-hmm. attacks happening; nobody discusses that. We always hear about Islam as a peaceful religion, yet the terrorism has increased since two thousand one. Since September 11, terrorism has increased, not decreased. They said, they told me, oh, because of American politics. Okay, we had a Republican president and increased, then followed by Democrat and increased. 
then followed by the Republican and increased. So terrorism has not decreased. It's increasing in Muslim countries. What is this Islamic religion that is peaceful when you look at Yemen, at Syria, at Iraq, at, at, at Turkey, the Kurdish uh, Tur- uh, Turkish war? And then uh, you look at uh, Libya, Algeria. They had another terrorist attack in Libya the last five, six days. So you have a role, Travis, is we need to tell the truth about what's going on in the Muslim world. Lastly, this is something was written in a book called Inside the Revolution. And you can also see it in a book called um, uh, Connecting with Muslims. It's on our website. And also uh, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. All these books report something that nobody hears is that the numbers of believers from Muslim background has increased exponentially because for the first time, Muslims are reading the Bible and they're saying, I want to follow Christ. Now, some are reading and they don't, and that's okay, but let them read. Uh, another book just came out, um, the, the Awakening the Ira- uh, Awakening in Iran. And uh, it's beautiful. The numbers out of theirs right now, they estimate 250,000 secret churches, you know, house churches. Um, and uh, the, the statistics, we have to be careful what to share for the sake of, um, you know, the brothers and sisters in persecuted areas. On the same time, we just, you know, the more the more there's persecution, the more we see the church continues to grow. And um, I, I know for sure, and I doubt that Christians hear this, but they need to hear that God is moving in special ways, mighty ways, dreams, visions, miracles, healings, uh, things. You, you know, I, I was I was with the refugees uh, um, in in a Bible study with refugees. Uh, Muslim refugees, and the lady had a dream of the Savior in this big hall, and she received a new dress. And in the story, she in the dream, she says to the person handing her this, the lady, she says, look, I don't have money to purchase this beautiful dress. And the lady says to her, oh, it's been paid for. You don't have to pay for it. Now, this is a Muslim lady who has never read the Bible, never read the scripture that says he clothes us, us with his righteousness, uh, that we have been uh, cleansed by his blood, that we, we, we have uh, received this by his grace. And in the dream, she sees the Savior Jesus. He's handing these outfits to everybody. And the lady hands her dress and she says to her, well, I can't pay for it, you know. <laughs> and she says, her, it's been paid for. It's free. And that you know that God gave that dream. So it would be a testimony for that uh, for that uh, Muslim lady. Uh, uh, another refugee from uh, uh, during a, a war, uh, he, they were in a small room with his wife. And uh, his neighbor was an Arab believer. And they started talking about Jesus. He becomes a believer and gets baptized. And his wife finds out, and she was so upset. She puts a string in the middle of the room and puts a blanket and says to him, you are a kafir, you're an infidel now. You sit on one side, I sit on the other. And nine months later, she became a believer. And they asked her at her baptism, why? And she said, I know my husband before Jesus, and I know my husband after Jesus. Jesus changed my husband. And that's the power of the gospel. It's not the theology although theology is important. The powers of the gospel is not the nice words of love your neighbor of yourself, which is true. That's a nice word. The power of the gospel is a changed life. 
And that's what the Christians need to hear is that God is moving, changing lives of people, and it changes us when we see and hear what God is doing in other countries. I remember reading David Garrison's book, Wind in the House of Islam. And in the book, he talks about there being, and I can't make sure, I have to make sure I get my numbers correct, but I want to say that there were almost 16 movements of Muslims, and he defined a movement as a thousand back, baptized believers in a given location or of a certain language group. And he said, if that's a movement, he, and that's how he defined it, he said there's been 16 before the year 2001. But since 2001, and he was writing this in probably 2014, 2015, he says there are 69 movements just since September 11th. He's saying we are seeing an unprecedented amount of Muslims coming to Jesus, and he's not the only one. You have yourself. There are several other authors that we've interacted with and that have noticed that. But why is the Western world so seemingly reluctant to really join what God is doing? Is it a fear? Is it just a misunderstanding? Is it a cultural difference? Or are they really, is it just that they're so busy with their lives and all the things that are going on? Or is there another thing where they might just be too self-absorbed in them, themselves that they can't reach out to other people? I mean, what is it? And I know it's not just one factor, but what do you think? And what are you seeing that many people have such a diff the reasons why they have such a difficult time sharing Jesus with their Muslim neighbors? Well, we need to encourage the listeners to take action. Jesus was a man of action. Uh, mm -hmm. What happens sometimes in the church, we like to discuss things and analyze things and we never do anything. So our challenge is, please, get on the website, get someone, download. We have something called Let Me Be Your Neighbor on Crescent Project. Download stuff so you can be getting the information. The, what uh, David Garrison's book is great because it shows us God is moving and he is correct. It's unprecedented. The same time, I want to share with our listeners we haven't reached critical mass. So, for mm. example, uh, it, we ha we know there's a million uh, believers in this country, but it has 100 million people in that country. So has there been change than before? Absolutely. Has there been an influx of the gospel and evangelism? Yes. But let's put this in perspective. We have not reached critical mass. In this country, we have maybe 4 million Muslims but we have what? How many people now in government who are Muslims? We have more uh, more than three senators who are Muslims uh, or uh, Congress people. And then now we have a new cabinet with more Muslims in it. And my question is, do you see that in other countries? Has mu Muslim majority countries allowed Christians to be in office? Um, uh, so there is a problem today. There's a, this political influx to uh, to influence uh, countries where there's heavy Christian communities. And that's not good because it affects us, it, whether it's taxation or changing rules and uh, changing laws. Now, that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that the church in Europe has had its, uh, you know, mess. The church became involved in politics, uh, whether you look at any a Christian denomination, we got ourselves, you know, in a political problem. So historically, many times, uh, if people are secular, they think of the church in a negative point. They don't know 
Jesus. They don't know the church that are, is welcoming and helping the poor and uh, discipling people and sharing the good news. Uh, so that's what you're seeing is that many times people don't have a correct view of church. Uh, you know, uh, I was on a flight and, and this person found out I'm a minister and, oh, they were so rude to me and and uh, judgmental. And, you know, and, uh, and the sad part is that person doesn't know me at all. They just, because I said I'm a minister, they had all this negative information about about uh, Christianity. So we have to understand that we have a role to speak up as Christians, and that role is more than on Tuesday when we vote. I mean, we have to be involved in uh, in education, in healthcare, in, in medicine, in uh, in science, in engineering, uh, being a bus driver even. Christians need to be out there showing what is true the true meaning of Christianity instead of letting somebody else, whatever, stand on TV and shoot their mouth about how bad the Christians are uh, or, or, you know, bring statistics from whatever, the Crusades. That's my, that's the funniest thing they always say. Well, you know, the Crusades, you know, everybody remembers the Crusades. Well, the Crusades happened in 1099, <laughs> 1099 mm-hmm. after Christ. We're in 2021. I mean, uh, it, it, there's more that the Christians have done than the Crusades. And so, uh, I agree with you. There is a uh, information uh, crisis that people don't know one what God is doing, and they don't know what's going on. On the phone this morning, I was with the Kuwaiti believer. Um, she will be is one of our speakers um, at the Sahara Challenge. Sahara Challenge this year will be in June. It's our intensive training, and um, she's from a Muslim Sunni background, and. Uh, uh, she said to me, if American women know what's going on with Muslim women, they will demand change in the Muslim world, and they will demand coverage. Yet the media doesn't cover um, those stories. Uh, three months ago, two brothers threw their own sister from the third floor because they suspected she slept with her boyfriend. That was not proven. It was not proven. She didn't, they didn't ask the boyfriend to be there. Uh, basically, sorry, he was even engaged by then. He had proposed for her, to her. But they threw her out of the window. She didn't die. The neighbors took her to the hospital. The two brothers went to the hospital and killed their sister in the hospital over doubt. It was not, it was not proven. This, this happens regularly. A Hezbollah fighter in Lebanon stabbed his wife seven times set her on fire. Nobody took him to court. Nobody took him to prison. Her own sister was on national television of Lebanon saying, how can this happen in the 21st century? And nobody speaks about this. Um, There's another story that happened in Jordan. There's another story. These things happen and nobody nobody discusses them. Uh, Two years ago, two years ago, a 12-year-old uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia, ran away from her husband's house. <laughs> She's 12 years old. And there was a big case, and the press decided to cover it. So they were interviewing her. And this is her response. Why are you interviewing me? There are thousands of uh, w- young ladies married ages 12 and younger in Saudi Arabia. Why don't you talk to all of them? And people don't know this, that in many countries in the Muslim world, a woman can be married as young as six years old. Today, in the Constitution, mm-hmm. 
of Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran. The constitution says the age of majority for a woman is 7.9 years. She can be married mm. as young as 7.9 years. She And a boy, a young man is at 15. That's the age that they can be married. And this is the 21st century. Um, and so we have a crisis of information uh, people don't know. And it's time for us to uh, share with them, number one, the crisis Islam is in. Number two, the joy that God is bringing to those who believe in Christ. Hearing about what God is doing in their lives and yet hearing all of the, the, the just the, the injustices, the tragedies that you're referring to, I think causes people to stand back and it feels like it's so far away from them. And yet you don't advocate a, a condemnatory approach. You advocate for building bridges with Muslim friends and neighbors rather than just seeing the politics without just seeing the action. I mean, the, the violence, which we've seen, y- you have managed to cross that bridge and invite other people to do the same. And so tell us a bit about bridges and how that developed and how people can participate in that because people can, they can learn how to build bridges with their Muslim friends and neighbors so that they too may know Jesus. But tell us a bit about bridges. Yes. The biggest thing that I would like to share with listeners is Islam is the problem. Islam allows jihad. Islam allows polygamy. Islam in chapter 4, verse 34, allows a husband to beat their wife. Um, and, mm-hmm. and if you read the text, they try to you know, try to tiptoe around it, but it's clear what to do to punish your wife. There are three steps uh, to punish her. So uh, it, it, the thing is, we need to understand that Islam is the problem, but Muslims are the victims of this problem. Many times, Muslims are suffering. I mean, they're running away from Syria, from Iraq, from Kurdistan, from Afghanistan, because of other Muslims. So we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus and show love and show respect and welcome them and listen. Many times they just need somebody to listen to them and, and just feel with them because they are alone, nobody around them. And the God of Islam is transcendent. He's not the God who's near you, who's your uh, you know redeemer. Uh, comforter. They don't have these concepts. The concepts that God is it's the master, you're the slave. While in the Bible, God is the father and I am his child, his beloved. So it's very important to know that the, the way we build bridges and we have the bridges study now in uh, nine languages. It's in French, German. We're finishing it in Portuguese. Uh, we're finishing in Tagalog, which is the language of Philippine. Uh, it's mm-hmm. in Russian, it's in Korean, in, in Chinese, uh, in German. So people can go to crescentproject.org and download the the study or uh, or they can go to Unlock the Truth and download uh, the books and materials and audio. But uh, the reason we did the study, it's, 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 if you want to say in English, you have a word called baby steps. It's baby steps mm-hmm. on how to begin a conversation and how to end the conversation with your Muslim friend in the middle of it is how to present Christ in a sensitive way, in a way that they understand. So Bridges, has, God has used that training in the life of thousands of people to help them reach out to their neighbor. And we have a saying, cross the street before you cross the ocean. So even if you live outside the United States, well, great, cross the street. Maybe 
you're listening to this podcast and you're in Marseille or in, in Paris or you're in, in Hyderabad or maybe another con- uh, another city, just see who are your neighbors. And if you have a Muslim, just go reach out and say, hello, where are you from? Or I'm, you know, I'd like to say hello. Uh, I'm a Christian. I usually use the word, I'm a Christian who loves Muslims. What's wrong with that? I'm not mm. a Muslim. I don't like Islam. But I'm a Christian who loves Muslim people. What's wrong with that? We can still be friends and talk to each other. And God will use you, my brother. God will use you, my sister, to be the light in the darkness of your Muslim friend. What What has been the response you've received when you hear people, when you say, I'm a Christian who loves Muslims? What, what, what do people say? <laughs> Majority of the time, this is what you'll hear. Oh, we Muslims lo- uh, are a peaceful people. My favorite one was, he says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Muslim, but I'm not like Osama bin Laden, you know, which <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> you know? And I said, well, that's great. I know not all Muslims are like Osama bin Laden. And so it was it, you, the response when you say, I'm a Christian who loves Muslims, it's that word love is always overcomes fear. And, and that person might, might uh, you know kind of the walls will fall down that that threat you know because they raise them that the christians are uh, uh, the enemies because there's a quranic verse that says uh, the christians and are and jews are friends to each other and they are both our enemies that i think so shakes up so many different people when they hear that and yet they they want to present the gospel but yet they don't know how and they and and i often find that many christians have been taught what i call the used car salesman approach where it's just get the sale get get the decision and it's done but it's really not like that it's much more of a relational development where you build friendships i know in some of the muslims that i've developed friendships with where we would have coffee together and we would talk about our children and talk about life and and i would present christ and and he would invite us to his house. And, and it was, I have young children. So we had sheep's brain and sheep's tongue and <laughs> my kids were looking at me and I thought, well, you know, we want to reach Jesus. I mean, we want to reach him for Jesus and, and eat up. Yep. Um, although it felt, it felt like I was French kissing a tongue. I mean, a, a sheep there for a second, but, but it was the relationship that really got to be developed. And, and I think people need to understand and, and talk about that for a second. How have you developed and cultivated relationships? Because we do hear about the gospel being presented. We need to present the gospel, but it's also developing deep friendships as well so that they can see not just our words, but our lives. Wouldn't you say that's true? Yes. And, and that's why I would love for people to look at our website, ChristianProject.org, because the danger today in the Christian church is to use one approach. So we think, oh, this approach worked in the college. It should work here. Oh, I want to be friends with everybody in my neighborhood. You know, I have news. We cannot be friends with 1.8 billion Muslims. It's impossible. It's just not right. Mm -hmm. It cannot happen. So there is a role for what we call proclamation. Absolutely. That's why we have websites, Facebook pages. That's why we have people talking online. You know, there's this proclamation. Hey, you know, are you interested? On the same time, you have the relational. Which one does God use? God uses both. Did Jesus befriend everybody? No. There was no time to do that. But for with many, he did build the relationship. And sometimes the relationship is not something that takes 10 months. It could take 10 minutes. So, for example, I, 
You know, if I work with somebody, that's a different conversation if I'm working with a Muslim than if I'm enter, walking into a Starbucks. I mean, I, I was driving in Michigan, and I stopped at Starbucks, and these guys standing by the door, they look like my cousins. So I said, Salaam alaikum, said, wa alaikum salam. One was Algerian, one was Jordanian. We started just talking like sh- small talk, and... And they said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a minister, but I wrote a book called Is the Injil Corrupted? Injil is New Testament. And they both looked at me and goes, oh, that's a beautiful title because most Muslims are taught that the Injil, the New Testament, has been changed. Well, I had a copy of it in the car, so I brought each one of the copy. Now, I didn't build a friendship. I didn't have a big meal with them. But the welcoming for 10 minutes, it destroyed the walls and build a quick bridge. Now they took the books. I don't know what happened, but that was that's all I had. And the same time, I had a friend who I've known for eight years. We have coffee together. We talk. He's a very hard person. He's had a very tough childhood, so he's very he's not very open. But I build a friendship with him. He's Palestinian background. We you know we talk. He grew up in Lebanon and then Jordan. So. What you're saying, Travis, is very important. There is the part of a relationship, not this idea of a hand grenade, you know, like the gospel grenade. Mm -hmm. Let me drop something and get out. In the same time, God opens doors for us as we travel, where in 10 minutes we can create a relationship or create an environment where we can shine the light. It could be like this happened at at Starbucks. could be at a gas station. Or it could be maybe, maybe somebody's listening who's a nurse and you have a patient and you only have, what, 20 minutes, 30 minutes with them, well, that time, you're not going to share with them, you know, the whole gospel from Genesis to Revelation. But in that moment, you could create this in, this welcoming environment. Maybe maybe that person says something to you, why are you so nice? Or uh, I was talking to a nurse down in Texas, Dallas, Texas, and she always offers if she can pray for them. And she starts, she says, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus, can I pray for you? And many of them will say yes, just that prayer showing interest. And, you know, it doesn't sharing the gospel doesn't have to mean that you share with them everything. And we see that in the life of our Savior, especially with the thief on the cross. I mean, the thief on the cross didn't have a chance to celebrate Easter, get baptized, uh, have communion, Lord's Supper. All he said, you know, Lord, remember me when you come back. I mean, he didn't understand the whole Council of Trinity. So uh, this is why I, I like to encourage our listeners to see themselves as a light in this world darkness and, and, and um, create this welcoming environment. Don't be afraid. Just let them know you're a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian who loves Muslims. And whatever opportunities you get, if you have the ability to eat cheap brain, <laughs> great. You know, If you want to have a, have a meal, great, build that friendship. And that's why we have something called Let Me Be Your Neighbor. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. streamable off our website also. So the, the idea is, yes, build the friendship with others. But in the same time, we're touching the lives of people as we travel, as we work, as we vacation. Sometimes you'll be on vacation, you meet somebody, and you might only have five minutes, but the way you treat them in that five minutes can lead to um, a, a, a conversation about Jesus. And, and Travis, let me, let me conclude on this point. God is moving. You and I and each listener, we are part of the chain of sharing the good news. That person, when they were born, the Holy Spirit 
is seeking them. The Holy Spirit is drawing them. The Holy Spirit is moving in their life. And the response, it's very important. That's why Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10 is very clear. That this life, whatever we decide in this life, has eternal consequences. So it says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So we are one in a chain. Uh, A good example was that um, it takes 100 sugar cubes to bring someone to the Lord. And you might be the sugar cube number 10 or number 90. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So look at your life and your friendships and your conversations as part of the process. Instead of looking at it instantaneous, like, oh, this is your day. That's why I'm talking to you about Jesus. Think of it as this is one of the days that God is going to use me to to bring this person closer to faith in Christ. Um, We've seen people get saved from the first time they hear the gospel. We've seen people get saved two years later. Uh, I know someone who took him 17 years to become a believer. So when was God working? In year one or year 17? Well, he was working all the time. They just... This man uh, who was interacting with believers and reading the Bible, he had his own journey. Um, One uh, Muslim background believer from Sunni background led her own father after years on the phone at his deathbed. He was dying and she said, Dad, I need to ask you this. Do you know where you're going? And he said, no. And what? how can I be sure? And she led him in the sinner's prayer and take Jesus as his savior at his deathbed. So many times we think we <laughs> we have the right time and that we don't have the right time. God has the right time. We just part of the process. You know, I, I love that because I think of Paul saying, I planted Apollos watered, but God made it grow. And and the idea is, is we all have our part. Some of us start the conversation, some of us plant the seed, some of us are watering in our own way. It could be a different part of it. And I often think that Christians think it's everything or nothing. And and I don't think that's how life works. I think in life, we're always getting a moment and we get a moment here, we get a moment there. But the idea is, is to seize that moment when it's in front of you. And I think that's what you're really advocating for is you're saying, hey, there are people all around you that you don't even realize that are begging, crying, desperately needing the gospel of Jesus. And and we have it. And we and we just need to open up our eyes and take that step of faith. And God will honor that as he has so many times in your life and the life of countless others. You know, hearing about your curriculum, seeing what God has done, what are other ways that people can follow you and get resources? You mentioned the Crescent Project but give us some of the other websites where people can learn more um, and get materials about how to reach Muslims with the gospel. Yeah, they can go to uh, Crescent, like the Crescent Moon, Crescent Project, uh, cphope.org. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, There's a couple of materials they can download. Um, I think uh, the book, Connecting with Muslims, it's available on um, Amazon. And there's, you also have training events too, don't you? Yes. And uh, the next training event is in June, Sahara Challenge. It's an intensive training. It will be virtual. Uh, because of uh, the pandemic, we decided to do a lot of stuff on online for the time being. And so uh, it will be virtual. Also, our HOPE conference is in October, which is our um, 
annual event on um, what God is doing among Muslims. That's why I use the word hope. So if people can do this. The other thing I would like to encourage people to do is to help us with the every imam. If you're a uh, committed believer and you're a leader in your church, uh, go to our website and join the Every Imam Initiative. Our goal is to raise a thousand uh, leaders, Christian leaders, pastors, uh, and um, it will be great to talk to two imams in the United States. And then next year, we want to open that up to the rest of the countries. But for this year, we're focusing on raising a thousand uh, pastors who will reach every imam in the United States. That's awesome. And I would encourage you, for those who are listening, to go online to check out the resources. There are many different resources, and don't be intimidated by them. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. And as you continue to learn and grow, you're going to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ because we all got to start somewhere. We all have to take our own baby steps as we share the gospel. But, Fouad, I want to thank you for coming on Apollos Watered, and thank you for sharing your ministry. And we pray that God might continue to bless you and use you and love to have you back because I only we we scratched the surface. We're talking about 24% of the world's population and 1.8 billion people. There's no way that we can cover this in, in a small little podcast. But love to have you back and hear more what God's doing so that we can partner together so that God's continuum might continue to grow and expand all over the world. And those who are living in darkness might see the light and life of Christ and be one accordingly. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Travis. I want to thank Fawad for coming in today, and I also want to heavily encourage you that if you know someone who is a Muslim, to be equipped so that you might be able to share Jesus more effectively with them. Go to the Crescent Project, browse around, sign up for one of the weekend intensives, and really be equipped so that you might share Jesus more effectively with them. I also want to thank Kathy Brothers of Keller Williams Innovate for helping sponsor our show today. And if this has helped you so that you can water your world, then would you do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review so that other people might be able to find it. And lastly, I want to make sure to thank our ministry team, Kevin O'Brien, Eliana Fleming, Rebecca Badal, and Donovan Martin. Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollo's Water. Stay watered, everybody.